Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. With supply chains becoming more complex, you need to stay on top of the latest logistics developments. So if you work with logistics, you need the Beyond the Box podcast from Maersk. It's the easy way to keep up to date with everything from digital disruption in logistics to the need for supply chain resilience in today's market. Find out more and keep ahead of the game with the Beyond the Box podcast on logistics insights at maersk.com insights. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder. Welcome to the Celtic Down Under Tuesday Crew podcast. Uh, I'm your host for tonight, Stephen, uh, and I'm delighted to be joined by the very cream of the Celtic podcasting crop, Gav, Steve and Matt. Um, Now, the title of the episode of tonight's podcast is um, Champions Again Because... So I'm going to go to each of you guys um, to fill in the the end of the sentence uh, in in the style of Ange in his post-title speech on, on Saturday. So I'll go to you first, Mac. So champions again because... I'm going to say one that's a bit out of the box. I was going to say because of our imagination. Um, so I think I think the the fact that we are starting to look into other other markets, the fact that we brought Ange in to, to be the Celtic coach or manager in the first place and... I think that's a really smart thing to do and something that we can we should continue to, to do is to continue to look outside the box and look around the world and, and what kind of managers or potential talent are out there and can we bring bring them in and can they contribute and make us stronger. And you also notice our imagination with the way that we're recruiting now, looking into markets that maybe we wouldn't have looked into in the past with Japan and South Korea and uh and the Middle East and, and Asia, really, and and even starting to bring in Argentinian players as well. Although, um, you know, Bernabe is still a bit, or we don't know how he's going to go in the end. But I think looking into these markets is intelligent. And um, I think that's helped contribute to our, our win. I thought I've said that because I knew it might be a bit different to some of the other answers we'll get. So anyway, <laughs> let's hear from the others. No, that's a good answer. Thinking outside the box. That's why we're champions again. So, Gav, I'll go to you next. Champions again because... 
Well, my answer is much more inside the box, I would say. <laughs> Champions again, because in the manager's seat sits a giant, a man of authority, ambition and intellect, with a singular focus on victory through an entertaining style of play in which he has an unshakable belief. Yeah, it's hard to hard to argue with that one. Yeah, definitely the the Ange being being the, the man he is is certainly a, a huge amount to do with it. So, Steve, um, for you, champions again because you're muted. I think you're muted, Steve. No, you're not muted, but. Steve's having audio issues. I think he needs to set up his uh, microphone correctly. Champions again right. because we're on top of the technology. <laughs> because we never stop setting up the technology. I'm just happy nobody said champions again because we never stop because that would be just such a cliche. Is that what <laughs> you were about to say, Steve? No, no. That was nothing to do with me. No. What's your answer, What's your answer Stephen? Well, I was just going to say this, pretty much the same as Gav. Champions again because um, the, the the guy in the man, the guy we have as manager is is just a different level um, to anything else in the, in the country. Um, a guy who just seems to have the answer to all the questions, and a guy who just knows um, the right thing to say at exactly the right time to get everybody going. I mean, his after match uh, speech on Saturday had the ball on strings there. Um, he was like a politician. Uh, it was it was excellent. It really it really was, and um, you know it, we're just so fortunate to have him. Um, and you know, hopefully, hopefully it goes on for a, for a long time yet. But we'll talk more about that uh, in a, a little bit later on. Steve, are you with us yet? Uh, possibly. Can you hear me yeah. now? Yeah, we have you loud and clear. Um, so All yeah, right, mate, right. Ch- champions okay. again because we never stop. No, I'm joking. Uh, <laughs> because. <laughs> We scored more goals than anybody else, and we conceded fewer than anybody else. So, 114 goals uh, for the season, breaking long-held records, and conceding what is that? 20, 34 goals, which is uh, you know pretty phenomenal. So, best at both ends of the park, best in the middle too. Steve, I don't yeah. know if you're using a different microphone than usual, but your sound is quite. Uh, Muffled. Okay. But be- right. Better to hear something than nothing. I'll, I'll try and fix it while you guys carry on. Yeah, um, 114 goals for the season. I think that's something definitely worth touching on. Um, it's a record, a post-war record for the Scottish League. Um, not something we've heard much of in the Scottish media, um, even although it is a record, but a remarkable achievement, Mac, isn't it, to score that many goals? Yeah, it's fantastic. <laughs> um to score, it's not it's not easy to do that and to beat a record like that from that that far back was post-war records. So I think it, it and I, one thing I really like about our team is we score from all over the park. Although Kyogo is scoring um, so so many goals this year, we also see other players coming in and, and put and putting in a couple of goals as well um, over the park. So Jota will score has scored a number of goals. Uh, we've had a change of uh, striker in Jackamacus, but O's come in and he's starting to score goals as well and feeling more comfortable in his position. 
So it is one thing that we saw from Ange's team from from early on, even when he was a coach of the Socceroos, was people would would be bringing in goals uh, from all over the place. So um, along long may that continue. And when we see him playing it at the levels that we saw on the weekend and the speed that they were playing, it's it's hard to stop. Yeah, for sure. It's great. I mean, at the end of the day, Gav, um, goals are what football's all about. So so the more we score, the better. Yeah, I'm just thinking about how my friend who lives here in Malaysia, who's a former Socceroo, a guy called Scott Olorencha, he pulled me aside at the time when Ange was mentioned for the job or, you know, maybe, you know, it all happened quite quickly. I think once his name was mentioned, but, you know, he was telling me it's just all out attack. He never, he never stops. The throw-ins are taken so quickly and it's, you know, we're going to score one more than you sort of approach. He's not too fussed about defence. He doesn't build from the defence. He builds from scoring goals. And, you know, that got my juices flowing, if you pardon the expression. But, you know, it made me so excited to see what he was going to do with Celtic. And it's been an absolute joy ever since he was appointed. Just fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, yeah, thank, welcome along to everyone joining us in the YouTube live um, and welcome along to everyone in the comments. Um, don't forget to hit the like and subscribe button uh, if you like what you hear um, or even if you don't like what you hear, hit the like button anyway and give us all a hand. Um, we were having problems last week with some of our audio um, with the pod, in podcast apps. So if you're struggling to download into any of your podcast apps, then you may have to catch this episode on the on the YouTube channel. Um, so please reach out to us if you are having issues and um, we'll try to get it fixed as quickly as we can. Um, so moving on to the match itself on on Saturday, the, the Celtics now annual title party. Um, I just want to talk a bit about firstly the pre-match um, and we'll start talking about with the pre-match TIFO, the full stadium TIFO uh, that was organised between the, the Green Brigade uh, the North Curve and uh, the boys. Um, now, to me, that it was something really exceptional. It was an incredible sight that greeted the players when they came out of the tunnel. Uh, certainly up there with the the best tifos I've seen from the club from the club's fans, uh, and up there with anything I've seen from any club's fans, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, and the amount of work that goes into that is incredible. So, Steve, what, what was your impression of the tifo? Oh, I loved it. So, um, I mean, it just makes me laugh, you know, when we look at the other side of the city, when they do it and we're all left guessing, you know, what was that? Was it a club crest? Was it Broxy the bear? Was it, you know, you know, I'll, I'll name that picture in one. Um, whereas ours was crystal clear, you know, beautiful, uh, really well put together. And the effort these guys put in, you know, it's, it's unbelievable, you know, including uh, getting uh, Tom Boyd involved in the act by the look of uh, some of the tweets that came out during the week as well. So, yeah, kudos to, uh, you know, to the, those groups, um, them collaborating together to, you know, to, to make it happen. Uh, really yeah. fantastic spectacle. Yeah, Gav, it's almost like an art installation, isn't it? I mean, it's so complex and, um, you know, the amount of planning um, to have it's almost like putting a, a, a separate pixel uh, on every seat, um, and yeah. the, the amount of you know planning that goes in ahead. That's it's, in, it's just an incredible thing to to see. 
to see it all coming together. Very impressive. Yeah, I mean, it's not almost like art. It is art. I mean, that, it's one thing to spell words. Any any old organization that wants to do a huge TIFO can spell words. But the quality of the imagery, you know, at either end was just so impressive. I mean, instantly recognizable. You know those pictures. You know who those guys are. You know, obviously, huge legends of the club. Uh, Willie Mealy, as you as long-time viewers of this podcast know, close personal friend of my great-grandfather. Uh, it was great to see him up there as well, because sometimes you sort of get the impression he, well, he does get a lot of reverence, but to have chosen those two giants at either end of the stadium was, was really something. I thought it looked absolutely amazing. I wish the instruction had to come, please stuff this under your backside as soon as the TIFO is complete. Uh, and just saw me commenting in the group, like, is that made out of recycled plastic, all that stuff? <laughs> How green are the brigade? Because, like, they're probably still flying about the east end of Glasgow and choking any wildlife <laughs> turtles that happen to be, you know, wa- walking through the Kelton. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I'm sure it was all biodegradable fully. Um, are you sure? Yeah, I'm absolutely 100% sure. I'll take, take that to the bank, Gav. <laughs> yeah, Mac, uh, what did you think of the, the TIFO? Were you impressed? I was, yeah, very impressed, not just by the TIFO, but the whole way that the the, the day was set up. Um, if you, I think if you watch it as an outsider, you just see a club that um, it, it was almost a, a show of, of power from us, um, having of this beautiful sunny day, Martin O'Neill bringing in a, in the trophy person who's who's succeeded and done great things with the club, and then just everyone, uh, all a lot of former players there at the match, dressed beautifully within their Celtic ties and suits, and and, um, and just everyone just having a really good time. Um, it was a it was a, a really great day one and and great to have that you know many seasons we've had these days so fantastic yeah Steve it was uh, it was great to see Martin O'Neill um, carrying the the trophy up the Celtic way um, and he just looked so happy to be there it was it was a really nice moment yeah no he's uh you know he's a character you know he's clearly um you know got the club uh, you know the absolute heart of what he does. Uh, very um, devoted to, you know, the club and the the club's, you know, whole way of being. Um, you know, and it, it kind of made me think actually. You know, and Ange clearly looks to previous managers, and you know whether he gets advice or he just bounces ideas off them, or maybe even just uses them just as a, you know, an informal channel. But and looking at the way Martin O'Neill is revered, you know, at the club, I think would hopefully make him think, yeah, you know, this could be me in a few years' time. You know, if I stick around, you know, if I deliver continued success to the club, you know, that that could be, you know, me as an older statesman, you know, at some point in the future. Yeah, well, let's hope um, let's hope that comes into it, Steve, um, Gav. Um, you know, if, if I'm not if I'm not wrong, uh, Martin O'Neill is another old friend of yours from Belfast. Am I right in saying that? Not an old friend, but we went to the same school. 
And, I uh, knew there was a the connection somewhere. Yeah. And yeah, so does Eamon yeah. Holmes, who's also in the news quite a lot at the moment. I don't know if you're <laughs> staying on top of British uh, yeah. en- light entertainment scandals, but uh, Eamon is yeah. also getting his tuppence worth in kicking That's Schofield it. when he's down. I think Schofield's been on top of too much light entertainment, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> yeah, just getting back to Martin O'Neill, um, he's been a big success at a lot of different clubs, but it's great to see that he clearly, he's clearly Celtic are still in his heart. Um, yeah, that, that that was nice to see. So um, it was a great moment and I think it sort, of, it sort of set the tone for the whole day really well. That's a good point that uh, Steve makes though, is that you know, we talked about managers before and how hell hath no fury like a Celtic fan base scorned. So ex-managers who we still hold close to our hearts, you know, are, are those that either because of the passage of time, all sins are washed away or they managed to leave in such mm. a positive yeah. way and didn't leave us feeling jilted. Uh yeah, I hope Ange sees through what he says he came here to do because he hasn't done it yet. He hasn't made us a, a force in Europe and he, a team that we expect to be there every year and make an impact. So, yeah, fingers crossed that he does look at Martin O'Neill carrying the trophy and, and thinks exactly what Steve said is that, uh, you know, Ange is a very sensible man and he does, again, as Steve said, look at former managers and he knows he's standing on the shoulders of giants in that regard but he definitely wants to be remembered as fondly as possible so I just want to echo those sentiments mm-hmm. yeah for sure um, just touching quickly on the game itself um, obviously Celtic were back to top form uh, 5-0 win over Aberdeen who, who really didn't land a glove on us um, two from Kyogo, two from O, uh, and a header from Carl Stahlfeldt. Um Do you think it was just a case of the occasion, Mac, uh, that led to the lifting form, or was it the inclusion of of any particular personnel that lifted the lifted the intensity in the team? I actually, I think that a lot of the, our lack of form in the last few weeks has been pretty intentional from Ange. I I think that. I think that he wants our those players that are on the fringe to start coming t- together, and I think he he knows that if you bring a lot of players in at once, it it's going to play with the team quite a lot. But I think sometimes creating those sort of challenges is good for the team. One thing, and I've heard Ange say before is he doesn't like people getting um, too com- comfortable in their position. He doesn't like them them feeling like oh everything's too easy because it's that time when you're going to lose, and and maybe we've lost a couple of matches um, in the last couple of weeks. But it's about how do we play? Uh, yes, you know this last week, and how do we play in the final? That's the that's the key. Are we going to win silverware? Are we getting better ahead of uh, playing in Europe next year? Um, and I, I think there's some benefits to doing it. I think bringing in those new players, you start to get an idea of how how um, how they go under pressure. I think you you the players that are there, players like Starfelt, one thing I noticed about 
him was he was starting to take ownership over the defense and start talking to, to people in the de- in the defense. You felt like he was the the strong one there. At one point in one of the games, I saw him. Um, the attacker came at him, and he came straight back. The attacker was pushing the attacker backwards. Um, those are those are good signs. I feel like those players will have progressed having played in those challenging situations. So, I think uh, that that was the case. I think bringing in uh, some of the those uh, some of the players that are there regularly, people uh, started uh, back bringing uh, Kyogo back into the in, into the match. Um, I think. Uh, bringing Greg Taylor uh, back in, bringing AJ in, Al- Alistair Johnson, all those those additions made a huge difference. Yeah, Steve, um, he brought in Iwata again uh, mm. and left Kobayashi out of the team. Um, you'd think that would be the the, the, the team for, or the way the defence would line up anyway for, for the cup final. Um, and I think Iwata played quite well. Uh, do you think that was down to both the first choice fullbacks being back on the field? Yeah, I think it makes a difference. You know, if you to echo what Mike said, you know, if you look at some of those games during junk time, as Ange called it, um, you know, where there's wholesale change, you know, you're talking about uh, uh, you know disrupting the the centre back pairing, changing the fullbacks on both sides. You know, there's there's nothing really solid, you know, to to fix the team to, you know, and that's that's a hell of a, a change really. It's not like we're slotting in uh Bernabe for a GT on a one off game or we're slotting in Ralston instead of AJ. You know, that's that's wholesale change right across the back, you know, including goalkeeper for the hips game. So a wholesale change, you know, I think having the kind of pillars of the two, um, you know, fullbacks that we've seen all season in Taylor and, and AJ, you know, makes a, makes a massive difference. You know, it really does. Um, I thought it was, I mean, don't get me wrong, he wasn't under a huge amount of pressure um, at any point in time, wasn't certainly under any sustained pressure at any point in time. Um, but I think he looked solid enough, you know. Uh, he's clearly a very tidy footballer. And he clearly gives us options coming out from, you know, the back, you know, so, you know, obviously, you know, you know, we all can't wait till CCV's back. Um, but, you know, I think it works, probably works in most games, you know, if we have other kind of more solid members of the defence present, you know, I think it could work. In terms of the weekend, obviously, we'll come on to the weekend in a moment. Um, I'm a bit worried as to whether Alison Johnson will be fit enough. I don't know if anyone's seen any news on that over the course of the last few days. Um, but the only the only thing I seen was a, a multiple sources saying that um, Andrew's fairly upbeat about his chances of playing, um, and he didn't expect him to last the ninety minutes on Saturday anyway. Mm-hmm. So um, it was probably a little bit of a knock, coupled with a little bit of a just taking him off anyway to rest him. Yeah, but um, yeah. you know, I, I I would echo your sentiments. We really we really need them. Really need mm-hmm. Alistair Johnson. He, he was absolutely brilliant. Um, I thought the, the difference was noticeable. And I mean, just to you know, just to take that to its logical conclusion, you know, if it's not Alistair Johnson uh, at the weekend, you know, Ralston's 
a solid enough backup, you know, but it's then Ralston coming in with a new player playing inside of him at the centre-back pairing. And I think that's where the breakdown really happens. You know, it's not necessarily swapping a one in for another, you know, not, you know, I don't think our team, or I think our team is more resilient than, uh, you know, just seeing the impact of one player coming in for another and, and seeing the defence fall over. It's where you start breaking that down right across the back line. You know, so if it's Ralston and Iwata inside them, you know, you start to think, yeah, you know, that's where, you know, you're, you're likely to see some, you know, some gaps emerge or some lack of communication or lack of understanding, you know. Um, you know, that would be the concern, really. Yeah, and Gav, um, obviously, Dyson Maeda was um, was suspended after his, his red card at Easter Road last week. Um, so Jota uh, was in the, on the left and uh, Abada on the right. Abada didn't finish the game. Um, coming off, not sure what the nature of his injury was, but I did see him on the bench with an ice pack. Um, do you think uh, Maeda comes back into the team for the final, assuming Abada's fit, or will he stick with Jota and Abada? Well, who knows? I mean, he seems to favour Maeda, all things being equal. So, well, I don't know. We'll just have to wait and see. I was just glad that the team sort of showed that they were in the zone uh because there was so there was something to play for not just the cup final coming up but you know it's trophy day it's a big celebration there was enough reasons for them to be up for that game that were absent from the previous few so you know i was never that anxious about the way those results were going and we've almost forgotten about it now you know i don't i'm not saying i told you so but i was saying this will all be forgotten very soon um I think Steve, uh, I was thinking about this the last time we we did one of these and Steve was saying, oh, I'm worried about this and I'm worried about that. And I was like, ah, don't worry. And I was thinking, you know, I try not to be anxious in life. I try and remove anxiety where possible. Some people quite, you know, thrive off it. I wonder whether Steve, you know, I'm, I'm worried about Alistair Johnson, you know, kind of likes a sense of concern. Am I psychoanalyzing you incorrectly, Steve? No, you're you're bang on, Gav. I'm I'm an anxious, anxious person, you know. Um, <laughs> no, but I actually genuinely was worried. I think it's harder than people think to kick habits, you know. So if we had got into the habit of being a bit sloppy around their play, not necessarily closing down, you know. And I know we focused on the defence last week, but the reality is, Maeda, you know, Maeda's defending from the front was poor. The 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 midfield was. You know, the midfield against Rangers, frankly, was was shockingly bad. And that was pretty much our first choice. You know, and I worry that that becomes pattern, you know. So I, I must admit, I was very pleasantly surprised uh, at the weekend because clearly either rockets went up backsides or the team just decided, yeah, you know, we really need to, to do this. And it's good to see, you know, it's clearly good to see. And it's reassuring. It set all my anxiety you know, to one side. Thanks, Gav. I imagine there were some words from Ange before the game, you know, that struck a chord with the players. You know, you could imagine he would have said some things that make you walk out there feeling like a lion, not a squirrel, to reference yeah, the previous I, episode. I'm not sure if I'm buying the whole, um, the players just decided to turn up 
uh, because of the occasion. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the two full, the two, the addition of the two fullbacks makes a huge difference. Well, that of think, course. Uh, as well. Angie's system, Angie's system absolutely depends on having two functioning fullbacks, uh, and we haven't had that for a number of weeks now. So, you know, state. I think we're right to be not concerned, but we're right to keep an eye on whether uh, whether Alistair Johnson's fit for the final. Um, and you've seen that on the other side, Greg Taylor, he's passing to Kyogo for the first goal, which is always the key goal in games like this. It was outstanding. It was a great, a great pass. And that's that's what Greg Taylor's brought to the team this year. Um, he's been he's been absolutely excellent in that role. And when he's not there, um, Burnaby is just not not capable of, of fulfilling that role. Um, so well, we might draw a line under the game itself uh, and move on maybe to the, the post-match celebrations. Um, there was wholesome scenes aplenty on the pitch with the, the players and their families uh, taking the, the chance to kick back, relax, uh, walk around the pitch and, and interact with the crowd a bit. Really nice to see. Um, and something I think the club is, is doing really well these days. Um, I know we win, we win the title a lot. Uh, we get a lot of practice at it, but... Um, Mark, it was a, it's a really nice way to round off the, the league scene, the players and the families all celebrating together, isn't it? I think, yeah, I agree. I think that's, I think it's fantastic, and I think um, having all the the play, the family there, you've got, we've got, you know, a mixture of different players. So we have players from from Scotland, but we've we've also got players from all around the world, and it's a big challenge for families to come to another part of the world to live. So. And you know the the their partners and their um and their child children. So it's a day to celebrate. And once the game's finished and we've we've won the game, it's a it's a time to to celebrate the heart, all those sacrifices and and the the, the players, um, not just the players, the players, the support staff, the co- our coaching staff, um, all those families, um, just to yeah to take in the moment of playing for for a, t- a team like Celtic and enjoy the, that huge crowd that we have and and to everyone interact together. I think it's really great to see and it's something those players will take take with them. Not every club does that. Yeah, so, some great scenes, Steve. Um, for me, the, the highlight of it was Ange Postacoglu going even higher up in my estimation, <laughs> being 57 years old and having two kids that age. How does he do it? <laughs> don't we all, Stephen? Don't we all have you know? <laughs> I'm no, sorry, but that, would be, that, would be, that would be the end of me. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, those those days are by by for me as well. But I mean, it's pretty wholesome, you know. You see uh, the kids, and to Max's point, you know, a lot of these players. I know we think they live a you know very fortunate life. They're paid, you know, big sums of money to do stuff that we would only dream of, but. The reality is they give up a lot as well. You know, they sacrifice a lot. You know, their work life is very concentrated, uh, you know, over periods and, you know, quite a lot of change and schooling and and whatnot. Um, So it's nice to see, you know, as recognize that, give back to, you know, the club and obviously the broader community. And I mean, you know, let's be honest. (laughs) I know we'll talk about Ange in a moment, you know, but, the reality is, you know, Ange gets the club. You know, he knows, you know, what we're founded on. He knows our principles and, you know, the history of the club and, and you know, the foundations of it, etc. And, you know, fundamentally, community is, is very much at the heart of that. 
you know, as we saw later in the day, you know, when, uh, when there are celebrations are plenty. Yeah. Yeah. And Gav, um, I noticed, uh, Kyogo getting interviewed, he attempted a couple of, a couple of words in English. Um, and, and it wasn't much, but I think it was significant, um, just to show that these guys are really attempting to, to integrate with the squad. Um, and, and, you know, when he first arrived, Kyogo couldn't speak a word of English, but he's obviously making some progress there. Yeah, I felt a bit sorry for him. I didn't notice his loved ones of any description coming near him. Everybody else was off off with their families and stuff, and he was left to lug the trophy around with his wee arms. It seemed to exhaust him. Uh, maybe that's where his injury came from. I don't know. But um, uh, what other highlights were there? It was nice to see Jacinta on the pitch in a pair of snugly fitting jeans taking photographs of the Starfelts. That was a nice moment. I don't know if you saw somebody bumped into the Starfelt mom and dad in Lisbon Airport. Mm-hmm. They were talking about how thrilled they were that their son played for this wonderful club. So then that was them on the pitch, the same people. So that was all that all checked out. Uh, yeah, Ange was able to lift both his kids as well, one on, in mm-hmm. each arm, which is pretty impressive. He's got some guns on him, clearly. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so it is great, as, as Steve says, for families and partners and loved ones to share in the moment, kind of, you know, brings them into the collective. It's not just daddy's off doing his job and getting all the glory, you know, so that's that's very nice to see. That's not what your question was. What was your question? Kyogo speaking English. I didn't Kyogo see that. Mm. I'd quite like to see somebody from our side learning a bit of Japanese instead of just going happy, happy, you know, that thing that they did very happy. Oh, very happy. What the hell is that? Can we not learn a word or two? I think that's, we, we pay, I think that's what we pay the interpreter for though, isn't it? Uh, the Japanese interpreter who's now getting more medals than the Tavernier, is it right? The Rangers well, Hall of Fame captain. Of, of a pinkish hue could, you know, show a bit of cultural appreciation, step across. Yeah. Okay. We'll raise that with a club when we can. We'll try and see if see if Jerry McCulloch can uh, add a bit of Japanese to his repertoire. So Jerry's from the same part of the world as me in Scotland. So I can I can assure you there's not much Japanese spoken there, but uh, I'm sure he would give it a go. Surely um, that's something for uh, Tom Boy to uh, to be picking up, isn't it? You know. <laughs> And Tom Boy would be better off mastering English first before he <laughs> attempts any Japanese. So um, after the game, after all the wholesome scenes, everybody appeared to um, assemble down the Tron Gate. Uh, there's an estimated something like 100,000 people there. Uh, various media reports about what may or may not have happened uh, disorder-wise. But again, this seems to be the type of thing which has you know, started happening relatively recently. Um, I've seen a, a load of league titles being won at Celtic Park Never seen anything like that, though. Um, you know, so many people in that, you know, such a small area. There's, there's always going to be the occasional problem. Um, I just wonder whether uh, the club could do something a little bit more organised next time. Mike, w- what was your take on those scenes? Uh, well, it was, it was just beautiful. It was beautiful to watch. <laughs> you saw the drone footage that people took with the, the drones flying through the mist of, of uh, 
you know, green clouds to uh, around this beautiful city, which which we have in Glasgow, and uh, on, a, on a on a great day, and you know, so many people out there just celebrating and enjoying enjoying life. I think big picture, it sounded like a lot of them would were just in, enjoying things, and there wasn't, you know, I don't think there was a lot of of big problems considering the amount of people assembling in such a in a you know that that amount of people assembling in a in that area um and not only yeah not not only that but also um apparently people were very responsible when it came to uh, making sure the cleanup afterwards was was done properly as well so it wasn't just leaving stuff on the street but a lot of people getting involved in cleaning up and, and things afterwards which is Picking important because bits. Maybe. Not that, yeah, TIFO, I'm not, I'm a bit, yeah, I think that's not the worst idea to let, just as, for people just to let, uh, with the TIFO, just to have a bit of a, you know, chat about where, where do we do, what do we do with this stuff once we've, we're done. But, um, but yeah, I, those are good things because I think uh, it shows that, you know, we're a club that's classy on, on all levels. We can celebrate and then we make sure that the place is, is back to where it needs to be. Yeah, there was actually a, a clean-up organised uh, between the, the, the groups that had made the TIFO, actually, the Green Brigade, the North Curve, the boys and Celtic themselves. Uh, a bunch of volunteers were working away there about half past nine on Saturday night and they had the place back to back to um, it, it's, its best um, by, by about midnight. So something you probably won't read in the press. And I'd be interested, Steve, um, to see... I mean, there was 10 arrests, apparently, at the whole thing. I'd be interested to see what would be the normal amount of arrests in that area on, on a Saturday evening under normal circumstances, wouldn't it? Mm, yeah. I, I mean, it's going to sound really churlish, but when uh, when the Rangers won it in the COVID season and we were all in lockdown here and there and they had mass um you know, breaking of the, the lockdown rules and the gathering and, and whatnot, you know, God knows how many arrests they could have had when they were wrecking George Square and breaking benches and, you know, whatever. And I know I'm falling into the trap of benchmarking us against them. And I said last week, you know, we need to be more than that. We need to benchmark ourselves against higher bars. Um, but I, I do get cheesed off with how the press portrays some of this stuff, you know, it's, you know, there's there's just the negative spin on it, you know, and I understand it's disruptive to the city, you know, it's a, it's a popular place in the city and, you know, if you're trying to run a small business there or whatever, I can imagine it's disruptive. And I'm with you, Stephen, you know, we, we as a club, you know, we should be thinking about, yeah, you know, let's arrange something on Glasgow Green or, you know, let's put on a bit of entertainment, let's put on, you know, stuff with facilities so people aren't peeing in the street or you know whatever it is you know like let's get ahead of this a little bit um but some of the press spin on it you know I, I think is is a little bit silly really you know and like you say that's probably you know probably is similar to what would normally happen on most uh, Saturday nights in that area anyway so yeah, wouldn't have killed him to put a couple of portaloos out, maybe a few bins, um, you know. So, uh, Gav, do you think something more organised is the way to go? Because obviously we'll be doing this again next year. Yeah, that sounds good. I, I wish we wouldn't talk about portaloos and urinating in the street because, uh, <laughs> as, as you know... Uh, 
<laughs> I like to keep nicely hydrated before we hit record, and uh, I'm usually struggling to contain myself in more ways than one as we do this podcast. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, an organized event would be would be amazing. Yeah, but bring some order to it because, I mean, something to be said for the spontaneity of the way it happens, and you know, this is our city and all of that stuff. So trying to contain that that sort of spontaneous expression of joy en masse maybe might take the it might, it might lose something if it's a bit too organized if it becomes you know a proper contained event everybody behind these barriers kind of thing might lose a bit but it would certainly be you know easier to clean up afterwards and as you say might reduce some of the negativity that comes with these spontaneous events out in the open. Yeah, I'll just bring up this comment from Michael McDonald, which is fairly relevant. Would the police prefer to have everyone contained in one area rather than dotted about the city? Uh, which is a very good point. You keep them all within a sort of half-mile radius there, and it's uh, it's easier to police. And to be honest with you, it's probably a feather in the cap of the Glasgow police that, that this passed off relatively peacefully with only 10 arrests. Um, you'd think they would probably be boasting about that, um, that they can they can do something like that in the city without any major major public disorder. So um, I think it's, it's much ado about nothing. Um, the only thing, was the, the, the amount of drones in the sky, it must have been a bit busy up there. <laughs> I hope there was an air traffic controller preventing any any collisions. Uh, the, most, the sky must have been black with drones. Speculation as well that one one point the drone came too close to one of the the peep the the people that was on a one of the lamp on a lamp post and the lamp, the person was trying to get them away and the question is was it because that person should have been at work at the time <laughs> we don't know the guy was on yeah. a sickie <laughs> yeah. yeah that's funny all right um, so we'll move on to. What the thing we want to discuss next, and uh, a lot of people have been talking about it already in the comments, and it's um, the rumours um, that have been circulating uh, probably for about a week now uh, that Ange uh, is a subject of interest from uh, Tottenham Hotspur uh, to fill their manager's role. Um, rumours have been gathering pace, um, and it's even to the point where it's been suggested perhaps that there's already been some talks between Ange uh, and the people at Spurs. Ange himself, uh, as always, is giving nothing away either way. He's not confirming or denying any of this stuff, instead focusing on talking about the, the game coming up on Saturday only. Um, so we'll start, I might start by asking you guys, uh, and I'll start with you, Mac. Um, what's your degree of nervousness about Ange leaving for Spurs on a scale of 1 to 10? With one being chilled, relaxed, and smoking a joint, um, and ten being reaching for the hypertension meds, <laughs> I think I, well, <laughs> I think I'd be somewhere in, in the middle, probably. Um, I there is a, a bit of c- concern around it um, because uh, you know Tot- Tottenham is one of those bigger clubs in the um, EPL or top six, um, but. And has a, a large budget to work with, but on the yeah on the on the other side, there's still yeah. So I, I'm to be honest, I think it's all up in the air a little bit at the moment. Um, 
I think we don't we don't really know what the what will what it will happen with that. Um, but I would I would say Celtic has a lot has a lot of of things going for it as a as a club. Um, you know, his family live in in. Um, they, they've shown that they've moved around the world, but they seem to be pretty happy living in, in Scotland at the moment. They've been here for only a couple of years now. Um, I think it's, we see that the his, it's a community club, which is a beautiful, a beautiful thing. We have these huge amounts of one of the, well, it's one of the biggest clubs in the world, isn't it really? And we have a huge amount of support, support base. Um, so you can go to, you can play in front of 60,000 people, um, and uh, and uh, you and to be honest, the other thing I think about Ange is he's he's really he's achieved anything we could have hoped from him as a coach. Um, people sort of there's a lot of stuff going on in the media. There's a lot of media speculation, particularly even within Australia, about that Ange will go to one club or another. They were talking about they've been talking about it all season that that would happen, and it's almost like the the media wants to benefit off the fact that Ange's has pushed ahead, but Ange has achieved everything he needs to achieve. So I think at the end of the day, he should um, make his own decision based on 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 what where he wants to go from here. I hope it is for for Celtic. I think there's still a lot more that he can uh, he can achieve here. And I think if you if you and I'm sure that they will look. The biggest thing is I think it's important that if he does wish to stay, that that they look after him financially so that you know, that, that his family can be well looked after because I think that's important. That will be not because he wants to make a huge amount of money, but more a, a, a decent amount that he can, um, you know, for, for the hard work that he's put in. Yeah. Um, so I'll go to you next, Steve. Um, so I think the argument kind of goes, just to play devil's advocate here, that uh, Spurs uh, are genuinely potentially a top six club um, and, and the EPL a club that was in the the Champions League final um, in 2019, so four years ago. Um, I think that the way the argument has been framed is this might be the biggest club that Ange is capable of being offered in the EPL, uh, and for that reason, he, he would be tempted for that reason alone. Um, do you think there's any truth in that? Um, I mean, they are a big club. You know, they've got a, a decent following. They've got the right infrastructure. You know, they've got a beautiful stadium. Uh, you know, yeah, you know, there would be a sensible um, step for Ange to take. Uh, second part of that question, though, or second part of that statement around, you know, is he not really a viable candidate for a top four team, you know, for a Liverpool or a Man United or, or you know, whatever. Um, you do tend to find, you know, they, they're going for the kind of super coaches these days, you know, typically slightly younger, you know, more in the 40s rather than mid to late 50s. Um, but, you know, who the hell knows? I mean, the, the thing that really would put me off about Spurs, you know, apart from the fact that we're losing our manager, you know, and, and everyone knows I'm a big Ange fan, you know, you just look at, you know, the Daniel Levy factor and, and you know, is he really going to get the free reign that he's been given at Celtic, you know, where he doesn't do everything. I mean, people, 
people get a bit confused, you know, and we'll talk about about director of football maybe in a moment. You know, it's not that Ange does everything, but it's that he's got he's got a hand in it all, and it, and it gets done the way he wants it to be done. You know, so he's he's very meticulous about that kind of stuff, and and I just can't see that happening at a Spurs. But equally, I can't see it happening at probably any of the top half EPL sides because you know, frankly, their size of operation is such that it can't be really, you know, single, you know, single individual oversight. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think Spurs would be a viable option. I think Ange is all about personal relationships. You know, if you look at the way he's navigated his career uh, to date, I think he would be looking carefully at the number of Spurs managers that have been turned over over the last in a couple of years, um, and the common recurring theme of you know, of, you know why that is, and the the fractious relationship with Daniel Levy, um, and I think that would weigh heavily on him, or it would certainly be a big factor in his consideration. Um, and I must admit, I'm not sure I would necessarily see him, you know, going to a bigger club in the EPL. I think, uh, you know, I just don't think he would fit the criteria for uh, a Manu or a or a Liverpool. Um, you know, or an Arsenal. So, yeah. Yeah, I, th- I think you're right, Steve. I don't think any of the top clubs in England uh, give that sort of control to their to their manager. Uh, as you say, that the operations uh, are just too big. Um, so, I'll go to you next, Gav. Um, it's important, I think, for it for Ange, particularly to to have a look at the fact that fifty percent of the clubs in the EPL have sacked their manager. Uh, this year over the course of the season and out of that 50% three of them have sacked their manager twice uh, one of them being Spurs um, so for me I think although this is, is attractive to Ange and I'm not convinced he wouldn't take it if, if he was offered it um, should he be concerned uh, that he might, you know, he might be out of job in six months basically well, that's one of the many factors that he has to think about if he's truly addressing this decision in his mind. On your earlier question of the stressometer, I'm having said I like to avoid anxiety. I'm sort of the pendulum is 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 flapping around between about six and nine for me, depending on the latest source of information that I consume. Because there are very persuasive arguments that can be made either way. You know, there's a ton of reasons why you should totally take the Spurs job. There's a ton of reasons why you should stay the hell away and carry on at Celtic. So I suppose on that basis, it's, as you say, unconvinced. I'm not certain what he's going to do, of course. Uh, I don't know if it's entirely all up in the air. I think if he's decided to stay at Celtic, and that's possibly what the meetings were about recently, those mysterious photographs. And it's going to be announced at some stage and he's remaining tight-lipped as he always does. He just wants to enjoy the moment. Maybe that's all been settled and we just don't know about it. Little patsies like us who talk about it 24 hours a day, we're the ones who are going to find out in due course that, you know, the decision was made some time ago. If he is ultimately going to go, perhaps it's still all up in the air. And maybe he needs to hear what he needs to hear from Daniel Levy. 
So I just have no idea. I've been to Tottenham loads of times. I know lots of Spurs fans. I love it when they tell me that uh, they don't want them anywhere near their club. I'm like, yes, that's exactly correct. Um, I have a Rangers fan who was sending me all these links to uh, Tottenham fans talking about, you know, this, you know, all those horrible things that they say about he's achieved nothing in these, you know, a kebab chef or whatever the talk was. Um, lots of people have vested interests in him going as well. Mm-hmm. That's obviously a factor. But it's not just the Scottish press talking about it. You know, I've been on more Tottenham fan sites this week than ever in my life to see what the hell they're saying about him and hoping it's all negative and they've heard someone who says there's nothing in it. It's definitely going to be Rogers or somebody else. So, yeah, I don't know. It just depends what I read. But um, even talking about it now, I get a sick feeling in my stomach that there's a possibility that, you know, our daddy might leave us. And I don't want that. Well, nobody wants that, Gav. <laughs> yeah, I think you might, Mike. I'm, I'm like you, Gav. I'm, I'm a little bit more concerned, um, and I get more concerned the more I hear about this. And what's at the source of my concern is really the type of people who are reporting this. Um, it's not Keith Jackson at the Daily Record that's pushing this. You've got guys like Miguel Delaney, who is, is a fairly prominent English football journalist. Um, who's who's reporting that, that talks have already taken place. So when guys like that are, tra- are starting to say this, then I think that there's something happening. Now, whether or not it'll, you know, it'll come to anything, whether or not he'll actually be offered the job, uh, or whether or not it's just all talk at the moment, um, or whether he'd even accept it, um, then remains to be seen. But I think, you know, I think there is th- there's mileage in this for sure. Um, but I think what what I wanted to touch on was that in the event that Ange leaves Celtic, um, what does the club look like? I'll start with you, Steve. What does the club look like post-Ange in terms of, one, who gets the job next? And two, you know, what is the structure? Do we stay with an Ange-type figure who controls everything? Or should we go back to the, the fabled director of football um, model, which we've heard so much about over the past few years? Yeah, what does it look like? I, to me, it looks you know fairly bleak, you know, frankly, because I'm not sure we've necessarily built the infrastructure around and you know. So, um, it, you know, when we talk about businesses and the maturity of businesses, you know, the the first level of maturity is chaos, you know, and and no one really has any direction or whatever. And then you've got the second level of maturity and that's where you're person dependent and you're very heavily dependent on one or two key people in a business. And they, you know, they're, they're the heroes and they carry the whole business through. And the next level of maturity is where you build the infrastructure around those people and you become less person dependent and you're more process dependent because you've got good scouting in our context, you know, for a football club or, um, you know, you've got a really good, player trading model or you've got a very clear strategy around you know how you're going to trade your way to you know the next aspiration of being you know a, a pot three club or you know whatever it is you know I don't think we've necessarily done that I mean Michael Nicholson seems like a a decent CEO you know we had that odd um 
period where we had that other CEO for <laughs> felt like a couple of days. Um, Mackay was the famous uh, Dom Mackay, yeah. Uh, um, you know, I and I think Ange has brought in you know certain uh, new scouts, you know, to to scout certain geographies. But it still feels like we're still in that kind of hero mode of yeah, that scout's really good, rather than necessarily laying out the 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 infrastructure, you know, that we're actually scouting new geographies. We're just leaning on more heroes, you know. Um, so I do worry, you know. I mean, I know Gav's worried about me worrying, but I do worry. I do wonder how sustainable this is, and you know, as as uh, listeners or viewers will note you know i'm not one for thinking this is a whole generation of celtic domination for the next 30 years these things have cycles you know and normally the cycle is triggered by you know something external you know whether it's a you know rangers um you know spending money they didn't have you know to, to you know to get domination locally or whether it's us bringing in a ben, brendan rogers or a martin o'neill or losing an Ange. you know it could be that kind of change that could trigger you know you know quite a, a a significant change now that's not to say it's not fixable you know i mean whether it's fixable between now and you know if we lost them in the in the close season you know that would be dramatic but to my mind i think we need to have you know if he's still here for next season we need to be looking at it a little bit more systemically and thinking about how can we make our club a bit more resilient such that you know we're not we're not on our knees if if Ange goes, you know, and and whether that's director of football, you know, whether that's you know other other measures we could take, I I don't know, I genuinely don't know, um, but it feels like we need to do something, yeah. Yeah, I mean, as definitely as a concern that we haven't put the structures in place that we spoke about because all the talk, but pre Ange uh, post the post the Neil Lennon era was. Um, that we were going to go with a director of football and possibly a, like a younger uh, first team coach. Uh, the name of Enzo Maresca was named uh, the man the guy who's back at Man City now after a very unsuccessful spell at Parma. Um, and um, uh, Fergal Harkins was the the guy mentioned for director of football, who's actually now director of football at Standard Liège. So that that was pretty much the model. Everyone was pretty convinced we were going to go down that road. But we didn't. We went for Ange, and, and it's been very, very successful. So I'll go to you next, Mac. Um, what's your take on it? Do you think we should be recruiting internally? Uh, is there a possibility that Ange's replacement is already in the building in terms of perhaps John Kennedy, who Ange was talking about big time last week, or, or maybe Harry Kuehl, who Ange's got a little bit of history with? Uh, I... No, I think you'd have to look at, I think that with Kennedy, it's, I, he's obviously been doing a, a, a good job. And if you look at his, his history of, of what he's done so far, it's looking good as an assistant coach. Um, but I think, I think that they need to have a bit of, at the end of the day, they're going to have to look at what, what, do, what do they really feel like his performance has been within the club. It's one thing for Ange to, um, to compliment, compliment him and he and probably and from what we can tell Ange doesn't give out compliments easily so he's it's well deserved but um at the end of the day my the things that I would put forward is one I think we have a bit of a 
I think we have a concept of what kind of football we want to see Celtic play, which is attacking attacking based football with a bit of a bit of uh, style and quality t- to it, and and high uh, and high press, which allows us to do that attacking based football. So if we have a style of football that we want to play, I think it's really important to continue down that that path that we are we are doing. So whether it's John, I'm, I'm not sure. I'm not convinced on John Kennedy. Actually, I really think you've got to make your decision really dispassionately and look at who is around the world is playing that kind of football. You really need in a in a club to do well. You need your manager to have a really good intellect. They need to be a really s- smart character that has ideas about how they want to play the game and how they want to they want to move it forward. Um, but we 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 want people that are aligned with our the play that we want to do. So when we make that recruitment, we need to have a coach that's smart, but also plays the way we want it. We want to play. The advantage of doing that is that it will continue that that style of play will continue to progress um, through to the next generation of players and the next generation of players, and and it becomes very synonymous of your team. Whereas if, if you chop. And it has to change with football. So there might be times when attacking football is the way to go. There may come a time in, you know, where where you that's the game has changed and that's no longer the best way to to win. But I think at this stage it, it can still be done, and we've seen it a number of teams do it. And um, so I think those are important. The other thing I would just say briefly about the director of football is it's we need to be clearly clear about what the the role of that director of football would be for me looking at it it would seem to be that the director of football is someone that looks at the long-term planning for the club and I would also make sure that the director of football one thing that concerns me about having a director of football is you don't want there to be a conflict between or who is between the manager and the director of football over who is in charge I think it's really important that you select an intelligent manager to be in the role and I I think probably for me, I think having the manage, the manager being in charge of the director of football and directing on on where they which direction we want to um, th- what they want they want to to go forward, but you select the manager to play the style of football that the club wants to play, and I think if you can get it, the other area where you can get into trouble is if say the the board or C or owner or CEO were talking with the director of football and not with the manager, and directing in the wrong way I think the manager would feel quite up, upset about that so because one thing we can see is especially if you get a good manager like Ange they can make all kinds of advantages to the club and I, I would be somewhere in the middle I, I, I'm not I, I think there have been um, changes made during Ange's time that have already starting to to bear fruit I think the, the recruitment seems to be really really strong and they're bringing in new people in that area so there's some things infrastructure that's already starting to be set in place but i think we need to continue moving forward we want us we want to be a club that's competitive in europe so we need to do that yeah i agree with what you're saying um that there are there are many arguments for and against the director of football and it is it would be a particular type of uh, manager who would be able to work with a certain type of director of football the argument being it needs to be a kind of more of a junior, perhaps younger manager. Um, John Kennedy would obviously be the continuity candidate, uh, but I just feel as if John Kennedy's just been indelibly stained by the Neil Lennon era. 
uh, when he took over as interim after the Neil Lennon disaster after he left, uh, and the and the season just spiraled out of control. So I, I'm not sure the fans, uh, the Celtic fans, are ready for John Kennedy, um, unless of course there, there was a very experienced director of football uh, brought in over his head. But um, but but I'll go to you next, Gav. Um, there's been a lot of talk, bit of talk in the comment section here as well about your fellow Ulster man Brendan Rogers who's currently without a club. Um, would you welcome Rogers back to the club? I mean, I don't have a problem with Rogers to the same extent that some do. But, you know, I just don't think going back is a great idea, generally speaking. You talk about uh, Kennedy being the continuity candidate. Continuity is, I think, something that we would all welcome. Someone who plays a similar style and has a similar philosophy to Ange. Now, whether there's somebody in the club that's already steeped in that sufficiently and is big enough to take on the role, I don't know. Or can we go find somebody else who could do that? Maybe another name, an up-and-coming manager who can work with the director of football. That's probably for the best to get all the infrastructure in place, as Steve was talking about earlier. But yeah, Rogers is yesterday's man. Brought us tons of trophies, and and then did one, did a runner to reference Philip Schofield again. Uh, but um, <laughs> um, yeah, uh, delighted to uh, seeing all that success under Rogers. But yeah, he's he's the, a past manager of Celtic, not a future one. Yeah, recently bought a house in Bears Den, apparently. And has been quoted off the record as saying he has unfinished business at Celtic. So, yeah, watch this space. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm making no comment either way. Um, Steve, I'll, I'll put one one last point here about Ange. So, let's be more positive about this one. So, Ange is staying. Yeah. All right. Now, if, for instance, Ange says, look, I'm staying, I want another crack at the Champions League, uh, we'll reassess in a year's time. We're just about to go into a transfer window where most of us are, are expecting Celtic to spend some significant money. Um, should we be holding back on that um, if Ange is not going to commit to the club for like another two or three years? Uh, no, I don't. I don't think you can. I don't think you can kind of half commit to these things. You know, you you kind of need to, you know, double down, don't back down. Um, now, I mean, I, I think you know if if Ange says he's here for another season, we we back him fully, you know, and we know that we've got revenue streams that are sustainable that are going to give us, you know, touches with you know similar spend capacity next season or next close season. So if he does go at the end of you know twenty three twenty four, um the incoming manager is going to have budget to spend. You know, it's not like we need to hold back spend in case that's going to happen. You know, I, I think, you know, thinking about it, you know, when Brendan Rogers was kind of um, his last transfer window, you know, I think the club didn't really back him because, you know, there was friction between him and, and the hierarchy, you know, and, and clearly that, that, you know, that wasn't, wasn't a good situation. You know, we, we created a, a pretty, Messy, um, messy space for. It. Um, so no, I I think we back him, you know. And if at the end of the day, you know, frankly, if uh, you know, uh, t- 
to, to Gal's point earlier on, you know, it, it depends how you do these things. You know, if, if he goes at the end of 23-24 and he's given a good crack and, you know, come, you know, come what outcomes there are for 23-24, you know, we might win the league, you know, we might do better in Europe. But even if we don't, my gut feel would say if he goes after three seasons, you know, I think a lot of Celtic fans would look back on it favourably and say, you know, be thankful for what we had rather than necessarily, you know, curse him for not staying for a fourth season. You know, the, the issue without retreading old ground, the issue with Brendan Rodgers was, you know, he, he jumped, you know, did the midnight flip, tried to take the whole backroom staff with him. You know, he did not do it in a respectful manner, you know, and, and frankly, you know, you know, it was all about Brendan. It wasn't about, um, you know, what he was leaving behind in terms of the football club or the, the community that we've just talked about or, you know, the team or whatever, you know, it was very much a, yeah, see ya, you know, I don't know. So now to answer your question, no, if Ange commits to next season, then we should commit to him as well. So we should commit to the spend as well. For sure. Yeah. Um, so yeah, let, let's hope he let's hope he stays, and let's hope that Dermot Desmond was over giving him a a big fat five year contract with um, and a huge check to spend in the in the transfer market because uh, you know I think Ange has shown that, that he you know he, he deserves that sort of commitment from the club, but I would like to see him uh, signing some sort of more a uh, long term contract rather than um, just a one year rolling contract he's on just now. Um, now that can include a release clause if if a certain club comes in for him, uh, but I would like to see him on a contract. But and um, with with some safeguards for the club built in, where we get a decent compensation package, um, if he does decide to go next year, uh, because at the moment we're looking at a, something like a two million pounds uh, compensation um, if he were to go to Spurs or, or, or a club like that. So, um, so so let's hope um, it's all positive and after the cup final. This time next week or next week's Tuesday crew will be celebrating the fact that I just committed himself um, to the next three or four years at the club. That's right. My stressometer has gone down to three at that very thought. Thank you. <laughs> I'm glad to hear it. I, I like to be of service. Um, so, yeah, moving on to um, probably the last time we'll talk about tonight, the, the women's the Celtic Women's Cup final victory over Rangers on the weekend, uh, on Sunday, the day after the, the title party, making it a, a fantastic weekend for everyone in the Celtic family. Um, in a game that, that threw up some really funny moments, uh, particularly one including the angriest looking woman I've ever seen in my life, who's the captain of the Huns. And I can only compare her to the woman who used to serve me my school dinner. She was equally as scary as that. Um, and then she put barging into the back of a Celtic player and then storming off, chewing a wasp, apparently, uh, and then going up up for a uh, runners-up medal with a face like a, an arse uh, and then instantly wrenching it off and storming away in the huff. So hilarious and uh, so much in keeping with the rest of that club, Mac. What, what do you think? Did you see that? Yeah, I did say that. <laughs> I did say that. Yeah, look, it's not it's not great. I understand what the message that she probably wanted to put to people is, you know, we're not happy with being second 
second team or whatever, but you don't, you don't need to push people over on like the way that she did too. It was shoulder budge from behind, you know, unnecessary moment. And I think it's, it, it is, uh, there are some probably some concerns within, at least within that team that they had the issue, the incident with the assistant manager and, and, um, and now this, there seems to be a pretty angry culture growing there, which isn't, isn't ideal. Um, but looking at the game, it was fan, fantastic. Our women's team um, playing some really good football under Fran Alonso um, and some of the great players there. Um, yeah, just starting to to uh, to really hit their stride. Um, so, would love to see. I, I think it's actually a, po- a real possible growth area for the for the club. I think it's a really good. It's a bit of a business opportunity, really, because if you can start to bring in whole families of of um, of people into the Celtic community and make it an enjoyable time for them, women, um, children, the the, the family. Over the, especially people, young people coming into interested in young women interested in in sport and just enjoying these these days, the advantages for our club will be huge just in terms of long term fans for for the club. Um, I mean, you can look at it from a purely financial perspective, but um, so merchandise and those those sort of advantages, but just in terms of our community ben- benefits are huge. Um, so. I think it's a really good opportunity for the club. Um, I think you'll touch on in a moment just whether we should financially put more money towards it. Um, I, 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 I would. I think we should, we need to be matching the the other other top clubs in the league at a minimum. So we should be making sure that we have the same sort of financial resources that Rangers and uh, Glasgow City do, um, because we don't want to be left behind. Women's games continuing to grow and becoming more popular worldwide. So I think that's a, a good idea. Yeah, Steve, there was a, a nice story came out of the game that um, yeah. one of the Celtic players, Amy Gallagher, um, was a great granddaughter of the great Patsy Gallagher. Um, yeah. And they, they won a Scottish Cup medal almost exactly 100 years apart. Patsy winning a, a Cup final medal uh, when Celtic defeated Clyde in 1923. Um, now, I feel as if that sort of story is something Celtic should have been pushing mm. before the game. And I didn't know anything about that. I didn't know Amy Gallagher was, was Patsy Gallagher's great-granddaughter. Uh, and I feel as if, just going to something Max said there about the... I'm not sure Celtic have, have, have invested enough in the women's team, particularly due to the reports this week that were lagging way behind Rangers in Glasgow City. So do you think the club should be doing more? Oh, definitely. I mean... I- I can sort of understand why they didn't leading up to the game, you know, because that might have been a bit presumptuous or, you know, it could be, uh, you know, given given the Rangers uh, backroom team something to pin up on their dressing room wall or, or whatever, you know, so you don't necessarily need to build that up before the game, but certainly after the game, you know, why wouldn't we be pointing to that? You know, that's a, it's a phenomenal story. You know, I, I didn't realise it either, you know. Um, it was shared on our group chat earlier on and I think most of us probably didn't know that story at all. So it's clearly got very little coverage. But the thing that struck me, uh, I mean, I don't watch a lot of women's football, I'll, I'll be open, um, but I did watch the weekend's game 
Um, but there's a hell of a lot of characters in that Celtic women's team. You know, some really strong characters, you know, some good footballers as well, obviously, but, you know, really strong characters as well. And I actually didn't even think the funniest moment was um, the Rangers captain, you know, <laughs> her staunch face when, this, when she went up for a medal. I didn't even think that was the funniest moment. I thought the funniest moment was when um, Olivia Ferguson came on as a, as a substitute quite late on. <laughs> And she runs up to, um, I can't think of the Rangers player now, and she just gives her this massive grin, you know, and she's just smiling away. And she, they clearly know each other fairly well, but it's, I'll, I think we should put a little link to it in the, uh, in the show notes because it is the funniest thing. Honestly, I've been sharing it very widely uh, since I've seen it earlier on today. But um, no, going back to your point, yeah, it's a phenomenal story. You know, I mean, 100 years apart, you know, great granddaughter, you know, carrying on the legacy. You know, that's the stuff of kind of almost, you know, fairy tale legends type stuff. You know, why wouldn't we be making more of that? And I kind of think the club might be missing a trick if we if, if they don't. So, yeah. Yeah, I feel as if uh, Liv Ferguson's smile is going to be memed for years to come. <laughs> In much the same way, some of the stuff Scott Brown's done has been memed uh, to this day, long after she's left the club. What I want to see, and I can't do it because I'm not obviously clearly not the tech genius on this on this pod, but what I want to see is her smiling like that and then the cut to Ange, you know, when he does that eyebrow reaction for a uh, yeah, Someone's already done that. Someone's oh, put those really? together, yeah. <laughs> oh, send me uh, that, that link, can be- that can be your homework, Gav, to um to, to find us that link and circulate it. Um so Gav, there was a, a story from one of our um one of our regular contributors at uh, Kaiser who um posted on his Twitter that Celtic are planning to build a five thousand seater old uh, stadium uh, at the at the old Barrafield complex, the Barrafield site, which is the old training ground, uh, which will be used by the Celtic women's team and the Celtic B team. Um, so I think that, that would be a positive step forward, wouldn't it? Yeah, and the response to that, among many, was, oh, 5,000 is not enough. A knee-jerk reaction to the recent uh, attendance figures. But, of course, they were hugely inflated by the publicity stunt, if you like, of the Celtic mm-hmm. end, swelling those stats. I very much doubt all those fans who were jumping about in the Celtic end are going to be turn it up on a wet Wednesday to watch Celtic women in the middle of next season. So most of the games will be played at this new stadium. That's the idea with a few at Celtic Park. If that's all true, that's all good stuff. You, you've got to invest in these things. Celtic's a family club. And uh, Patsy Gallagher's son, Willie, played for the club, didn't he? And now this is his great-granddaughter. Mm-hmm. So regardless of gender... You know, you can live your family's dreams and turn out for your the club who's who your whole family has supported down the generations. Mm-hmm. So yeah, get right behind the women's game. And um, Fran Alonso, the manager. I don't know if you see this post-match interview. That's another one that will go down in the in yeah. the, the legend category. I don't think the Celtic fans sing lo 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 or whatever the hell he did. It's more just a. I don't know. Oh, 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 oh. Right. 
Yeah, you're right. But you know, I think if we have another, if we have another dead rubber game against Rangers next year, um, where we've won the league, I think we should let him manage the team just for one game, just for the crack. <laughs> I think that would be that would be epic. <laughs> uh, can you imagine? You know, if if the Rangers sack Mickey Beale, you know, and they put up the bat signal for Graham Murphy again, you know, and <laughs> just by chance it's Fran Alonso in one dug out against Graham Murphy and the other. Can you imagine the antics? It would be uh, be worth the, the entrance price for itself in its own. <laughs> yeah, it'd be, definitely be worth watching. Um, so, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll just wrap about, it up, I think, Stephen. Yep, yeah, we're just about out of time. Um, so, just quickly, Gav, uh, we've got the Scottish Cup final on the weekend. What's your score prediction? Uh, 4-0. Come on, come on, Inverness, Caledonia, <laughs> this one. And Mac, what's your score prediction? Uh, it's the question is whether you go down or up. I think maybe five nil. <laughs> let's let's go for it. <laughs> but let's who, let's be positive. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Who, who, who who knows? I know that the biggest thing is we come out to play. Let's play our best and see how it go. And let's hope nobody on this pod says no no disrespect to Inverness, Caledonia, Thistle, because I'm sick hearing those words. Yeah, so maximum disrespect to Inverness Caledonian officials. <laughs> Steve, <didn't> <laughs> Steve what's your, your an absolutely pish. Steve, what's your score prediction? Um, I'll, so look, I'll, I'll say 3 0, and I'm going to be bullish and say that we'll get a Greg Taylor goal from outside the box to kick us off. And That's then. Very yeah, oh, hang on. We're getting more precise as we go on. Then a uh, Rio Hitati, um goal, similarly from outside the box. And then we'll get oh, Gav's favourite player, oh, coming off the bench to uh, to finish off this scoring. There you go. Yeah, well, you guys have picked all the, all the good scores, so I'm going to have to go 6 nothing because I have to go up the way. Uh, I'm going to say Kyogo's going to score a hat-trick. Uh, and we'll, we'll dance our way into the night with our eighth treble uh, which mm. will be a new world record again something you won't have read much about in the media uh, this week so um, fantastic achievement and, and something that the club should be absolutely recognised for so thanks very much guys for joining me tonight uh, and thanks to everyone who joined us in the comments, uh, very much appreciated uh, and all that remains for me is to say hail hail and God bless Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BTW, void, we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus.